Romans 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. <clears throat> so he, he talks about uh, uh, how thankful he was for that church. And remember, this is a church that was founded, as far as we can tell, founded by, by, uh, um, by Messianic Jews, or sometimes referred to as Hebrew Christians, uh, Messianic Jews that, that uh, were in Rome that took this message and now it's predominantly Gentile, predominantly a Gentile church. And how Paul, in some other times, he was hindered, as it tells us, as it tells us in, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 18. Sometimes he was hindered by Satan, but that's not what happened here. He was, he was slowed by the massive amount of work that he had to do. But also, as Dr. Boyd pointed out to me, there had been a decree by, by Claudius Caesar, in, and that's talked about in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, that there had been a decree by Claudius Caesar that all Jews had to leave Rome. And when this decree was lifted, that's when Paul there was an opportunity for Paul uh, to be able to come. And so he says, he says in verse 9, For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. So there may be, there may be this, this thought that, that, uh, um, that Paul must have had all this extra time for prayer. But Paul was extremely busy. I mean, he was a very, very busy man. So Paul talks about the busyness with which he had to go about his life. He was a very busy person. So, so, uh, Paul, he talks about how he had the burden of all the churches. He was shipwrecked three times. He had been, I think he was five times beaten, uh, 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 with lashes by, by the Jewish authorities, 39 lashes. And, uh, uh, so he had tremendous burdens, but in the midst of that, he was able to pray. In the midst of all this, he was able to spend time seeking the Lord. And so if we look, for example, to see just some of the busyness that Paul went through, so we can think about this guy. You may think that, look, I'm not a full-time person. I, I have things to do, people to see, places to go. I'm a busy guy. I'm not a pastor. How can I spend time in prayer and in the Word? Well, let's look at Paul's life. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, Are they servants of Christ? They speak as if insane. I'm more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Now we're reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse, verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and the day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in, on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? This man was concerned about everyone and everything in the churches, deeply concerned, and he went through so much, so much. I mean, you wonder why does he, 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 uh, uh, three times he was shipwrecked. Isn't, isn't once enough for God to kind of show us what shipwrecks are like? I mean, three times he was shipwrecked. And, uh, uh, then he, he tells us that he was, it was three times he was beaten with rods. Uh, one times he was stoned, three, t- and, 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 and just the times, th- then he says five times in verse 24, I would receive from the Jews 39 lashes. And so, isn't once enough? Five times 39 lashes? I mean, again and again, what this guy went through. He was a very busy man. But he had time to pray, as it talks about in Romans chapter one. He says, I pray for you all the time. I pray for you all the time. So in other words, this man somehow in the midst of all his busyness, in the midst of all his work, he made time to pray. I am not putting things upon you because I want to always be careful not to put upon you things that are not explicitly commanded for us in the New Testament. There are some things that we are explicitly commanded to do, at least 150 commandments that can keep us quite busy. But what I want to display to you is, is that, that people can indeed have full-time jobs and still be very, very active in ministry. You do not have to be in full-time Christian ministry to be active in Christian ministry. And in fact, people who are in full-time Christian ministry, often when they stop being in full-time Christian ministry, <clears throat> they just implode in the amount of, of, of they, they just stop ministering because they think, well, that's not my job anymore. It's very important to be active in this. And you see that in the life of Paul. And and uh, uh, Peter and John, it talks about in Acts chapter 3, they were on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer. So they had a set hour of prayer. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, it says that Daniel used to pray three times a day. He set a time, aside times three times a day for prayer. We are not under obligation to pray three times a day. If we obligate We obligate ourselves. That is for us. There are things that we put upon ourselves that we ought to do and have practices that we do. I have never seen, with my own eyes, I've never seen, and I've met a bunch of believers, I have never seen anyone have a deep walking and abiding faith in the Lord without daily time in the Word of God. I've just never met them. So maybe you've met them, I've not. Without a deep Daily time in the Word of God, when you have time set aside, I set aside time in the morning. Uh, uh, people who set aside time in the evening, there are some people that the evenings are best for them. 
that would never work for me because in the evening, my mind is spent. My body is spent and I would fall asleep very, very quickly. Uh, so I dedicate a time in the morning to spend time with God and in prayer. Since the time I was an undergraduate, I would break somewhere around the middle of the day and I would go to the chapel, get on my knees and spend time in prayer. I have done that since the day that I was an undergraduate. I think I started doing that in my junior year as an undergraduate. And I've continued it all through my graduate school, all through my postdoc, all through my assistant professor, associate professor, full professor to this day. And uh, uh, sometimes I will just close my office door and spend some time in prayer uh, uh, just alone in my office. But very often I will get away. I'll go to the chapel on campus to pray or go someplace to pray to get away to do this. And then I'll spend some time in the evening reading the word of God in prayer. I am not putting that upon you. I am just trying to show you the practice of people, that people have practices, that, that uh, uh, Peter and John were not under the law. They were not obliged to go at an hour of prayer in Acts chapter 3. Uh, but they did it. In Acts chapter 10, again, they were on their way at the hour of prayer. They had certain things that they did. Paul, in the midst of this, was able to have time to pray for people. I mean, the guy was super busy. And always in danger of people coming at him. How many days have you spent cold and in, in exposure at night? One, maybe? Like, none for me. Once I was camping out and I didn't have the right equipment and I was freezing. But, you know, that was, that was my own fault for going. It wasn't like I was running from anybody. And uh, how many days have you gone hungry? I'm not talking about fasting, but that you had no food. I mean, Paul talks about this. All this things, this stuff happening in his life. Busy guy. Plus, he had all the concern of all the churches. He says, who's weak without my being weak? So when he hears all this stuff going on in the Corinthian church, this concerns him. Busy guy. But if you want to be effective in your life, I will, I'll tell you, I have seen this with my own eyes. If you will spend time with God every day, you will get a ton more done in your life. You want to see the people that get the most done in their lives? It's people who spend time with the Lord. If I were to think about all the different things that I'm juggling, I would, I would just collapse. And I mean, just got so many things going. And I don't know how it all keeps going other than, than God is keeping all these balls up in the air for me. It is amazing what you can do when you spend time with God. And he says, he says, I would just, I just spend time praying for you. He says, I pray for you all the time in verse nine of chapter one of Romans. He says, He says, God's my witness. I'm not messing around here. I'm telling you the truth. How unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers. Verse 10 of Romans chapter 1. Request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. This man was longing to go to Rome to see these people. He had a pastor's heart. He had a pastor's heart. I don't have a pastor's heart. I really don't. I'm not a pastor. I'm a professor. You know, I, I'm, I can get, I can be grumpy and people say, well, he's just a professor. I mean, they, and, and, and it's okay. This man had a pastor's heart. He was longing to see them. And I've seen pastors like this. If you have a pastor who doesn't have this kind of heart, they're, they're often not a very effective pastor. Pastors want to be with their flock. They want to be around their people. And they always want to be doing things with, with, with their flock. He wanted to see them. This guy had an amazing pastor's heart, along with being an apostle. He had the heart of a pastor. And then he goes on to say, 
in verse 11, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. And Paul talks about, he talks about what, what does Paul have to give that, 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 that others really might not be able to give? You know, there's, there's, uh, uh, if you, if you were to look in, in 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8, he talks about my gospel. Paul describes and he uses this term very often. He used the same thing in Romans chapter 2 verse Verse 16 in Romans chapter 16, verse, verse 25, he talks about my gospel. Paul refers to what does he have that the other apostles didn't have? And he had this special revelation that had come to him. And, and he was well aware of this. He was well aware of, of what he had. So if you look in Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, it says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul was taught something that the other apostles that had walked with Jesus, they weren't even taught. He got a special revelation from Jesus. And he describes this revelation in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 3. So Ephesians chapter 2 and 3 talks about this revelation. But he says in Ephesians chapter 3, reading from verse 1, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been made, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets in the spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I am made a minister according to the gift of grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. This is the ministry that he had. It was sharing this mystery. Again, the church itself was not the mystery in the Old Testament. There's at least two, possibly three verses. What the mystery is, is that Jews and Gentiles alongside one another would be worshiping in the same body of Christ, in the same body in the Lord. That was the mystery which he came to display. That's what he came to talk about. That's what was going on with this. And so this is the mystery that he came to share. And because of the richness of this, because of the richness of this, this, uh, um, uh, ministry, he was indebted to share this. He was indebted to share this, as we'll talk about. But you even see that he talks about, uh, I, I want to mention one other thing in, in, in this passage in, in Ephesians chapter three, verse, verse, uh, uh, six, it says, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promises in Christ, in Christ. The second thing that Paul did, which was different than all the other apostles, is he used this term, in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ, in Christ, in him, in whom. This is like a judicial proclamation. He uses this in Jesus all the time. This was the other thing that he was revealing. God looks at us through the lens of his son, Jesus Christ. There is absolutely nothing in us that is lovable to God. Absolutely nothing. It is only 
what we have because of Jesus Christ. And in Him, God loves us. It is in Him. In Him we have power. In Him we have strength. There, God loves us not because of who we are. God loves us because of who He is. Because of who His Son is. This is why He loves us. There's nothing in us that's lovable. If there's any good, any good in us, this is all from Jesus. It is all in Him. This is what Paul is driving home. This revelation of Jews and Gentiles worshiping together, which was a foreign concept to both Jews and Gentiles in that day. This was the mystery. And secondly, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ, in Him, in whom, over and over again, He drills this home. It's not that we are not guilty. It's, it's like when there is a presidential pardon. The presidential pardon never says that that individual is not guilty. The presidential pardon just says that in spite of whatever you've done, you're pardoned. You're fully pardoned. You have the rights as if you had never done it before. If you've never committed evil before, if you had never committed that crime. That's the way we are looked on. It is a something made in right standing that Paul is speaking about. This is what he's talking about. This, this establishment. And so then he goes on and he says, he says, uh, in verse 12, that is that I may be encouraged. So this is Romans chapter one, verse 12, encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. So Paul is very careful to not presuppose that I have something to give you only. He says, I am refreshed when I am with you. And if you look at a person who has a pastor's heart and is a pastor, they get refreshed by being around their people. This pandemic has been so hard on pastors because their whole heart is for their flock. And and uh, they just long to be around their people. If you have a pastor who's an introvert, it's hard. It's hard to be a pastor who's an introvert. You Most pastors, who have, they have, they're extrovert. I mean, they just love to be around people. And that's where Paul's heart was. He wasn't like, look, I just need some time alone, right? I mean, haven't I given enough? You just have some time alone. You just never see that in Paul. He's just giving out. He's getting filled by the Lord and giving out. Verse 13 of Romans chapter 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He says, I am under obligation. This is an obligation for me. I'm under obligation. This is an obligation for me. This is the sense that he has. He says, I'm under obligation to be able to do this. So if you look in, in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, what is this I'm under obligation? In fact, the exact wording here is this, I'm, an in, I'm indebted. He says, I am indebted both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. So the Greeks... Uh, uh, distinguished themselves, they, 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 they bifurcated themselves in the cultured and the uncultured. The cultured Greeks and the uncultured Greeks, which were referred to as barbarians. So we have ways of, of separating the different classes in our own culture. They separated to the cultured Greeks and the uncultured Greeks. And so if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, so remember we, we talked about the revelation that was given to him. The revelation that was given to Paul that was not given to the other 
uh, apostles was this revelation about Jews and Gentiles worshiping together and also the greatness of what we have that's in him, in Jesus. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He says, because of these revelations, I was given this this weakness. Because of these revelations, I was given this weakness. That's what he's talking about. He says, I was given a weakness because of these revelations so that I may, I may uh, uh, um, not exalt myself. He felt indebted because of all that he had received, that he had to give this out. He absolutely had to give it out. And I'll tell you, I, I'm nowhere close to what Paul has. But I tell you, I feel indebted to share the gospel. If I don't see one person every week coming to the Lord through my ministry, through my sharing with them, I am terribly frustrated. I feel indebted to God for all that he has given me. If, if I look over my life, it has been blessings have poured in my lap, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. How can I keep silent about this? When I look at the discoveries that God has given me in my research group, it is just amazes me. Any one of these discoveries would be the lifelong career for a chemist and a very successful career. And I look at my life at what God has dropped upon me again and again and again. The wisdom that he has given to my students and they bring these pots of gold to me. And sometimes they don't even know what it is. They say, look what I found. Like, do you know what that is? That's amazing. That is just amazing what you just found. This is like when when we start a company on this, we're going to be counting money all day. This thing is so amazing. And I, I was just so excited because I, I got these results on Friday. They report the results for me to for the week. So I, um, from two p.m. to 5.30 p.m., they come in and they, they report to me. And now it's by Zoom. They come on and they report to me. I was just like a kid in a candy store. Just all these results coming in. So I, I was, and then I was driving home. And uh, um, and so so I, b- b- before I, I, I wanted to go home, I, just, I called Shereen. I said, Shereen, do you know, do you have any idea the results I found today? The results my group brought to me? And then I called my son, Ben. I said, Ben, we just had these amazing, amazing results. I called my son, Josiah, who's a physician. I said, Josiah, if you need anything from me, you better ask now. Because a year from now, I'm just going to be so busy. There's going to be so many layers of secretaries and administrators between you and me. You're not even going to be able to get to me. And if you need to come home from Kentucky, just call me and leave a message, I'll send my jet to get you and bring you back. I mean, I was so excited with the results that we had. It's just amazing. How can I not tell people about the goodness of my God? He has been so good to me. When I look at, at, at the wife that he's given me, I am so blessed 
to have this wife. I mean, there's a lot of ladies out there. And and uh, that I got the wife that I got is just amazing. I'm not sure that, that she got a good deal, but I got a great deal in this. I mean, she is just tremendous. And I thank God for this. And so much that I have, I feel indebted. How can I keep silent about the goodness of God, the kindness of God? Paul is driven. He says, I'm a debtor. I am in debt to you. I am in debt to you Gentiles because of the revelations that have been given to me. I know exactly what Paul is talking about. How can I keep quiet about this thing? All that God does, the truth of his word, the blessings that come when you spend time in his word. this, This is... God promises this. I'm not teaching a prosperity gospel beyond what God has just said. Prosperity has nothing to do with money. Nothing. In fact, when you get God, the money doesn't even matter to you. It is God. It is God. It is just so good. The presence and the kindness and the, and the, and the things of God that come to you. Joshua chapter one, verse eight and nine. Psalm one. Psalm 119, verse 97 through 100. Psalm 112, verses one through three. All of these verses again and again stress what happens when God gets into our life, the blessings that are going to flow when we spend time meditating upon his word over and over and over again. God is so good. This is why he says, he says, I can't keep quiet about this. I am indebted to come to Rome and to share and see more converts. He was absolutely driven, absolutely driven. He says, I got to share these things. And then he goes on and he says, he says in, in verse, in, in, in verse 15, so for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He says, I'm eager to do this for my part. Then he goes on, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith and in it, and, and, uh, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. He doesn't say it here, but he he doesn't explain it here, but he does in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says exactly what the gospel is. Here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. For I deliver to you as the first importance what I also received. This is the most important thing. First importance is this. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. That is the that is the gospel right there. It is so utterly simple that a three-year-old can understand this and is so utterly profound that I see PhDs and professors every week falling to the power of this, that God sent his son to die for us on the cross. He was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead. There is salvation in that statement. It is so profound and so deep. It is the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation for anyone that will believe that. For anyone that will believe that. That is the gospel. You don't have to put philosophers in there. You don't have to put famous people in quotes. That, that is it. That is it. And you get a person to that point and it is absolutely supernatural. I am telling you it is supernatural. 
How do you get any thinking man or woman with educated person, how do you get them to believe in a physical resurrection from the dead? You can't. But that truth has been placed on the heart because that is the requirement for salvation. It's that. It's that very thing. He says that is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That is the power of God. It is the power. So when I share this word, again and again, the thought comes to me as I'm talking to these people and I'm sharing this very gospel, this very word. What's going through my mind is, in five minutes, this person's going to get saved. In five minutes, I know they're coming into the, into the kingdom of God. I am sharing and I am utterly convinced that this person's going to get saved. You know what really surprises me? The few occasions that a person does not receive. That really shocks me. Because I utterly expect them to, to just collapse when they hear this. Because it's an anointed word. It's not my message. It's God's message. It's God's message for the human race, for salvation. This is God's message. That's why he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. This is the power of God. The gospel is God's power. The gospel, that simple message that Jesus, the Son of God, died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again from the dead. That is the gospel. And, and uh, uh, you know, I'm not against apologetics, not at all. But I think apologists can waste a whole lot of time dancing all around these things and they never get to the gospel. And you're like, you just left me in the periphery. Oh, that's, that's, whoa, that's so amazing. Well, I'm really impressed by all of that. And then you leave unsaved. You got to go right to the gospel. Go right to the gospel. There, the power is in that word, the power of the gospel. And then, then he, 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 he speaks about this. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is one verb in this, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This message is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you say it was to the Jew first, then you have to say it was the power of God for salvation. There is one verb that modifies that whole sentence, is. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that's all that Paul did. He took the message to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Paul took this message to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And you can see this. Paul was called as the as the apostle to the Gentiles. He was called in Acts chapter 9. He was called. He was sent out in Acts chapter 11 to the Gentiles to start preaching to the Gentiles. In Acts, in, in Acts chapter 13, what does he do? The first thing that he does in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting by the Holy fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues 
of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. Where did they first go? The apostles to the Gentiles took the word of God first to the synagogue of the Jews. Then in in Acts chapter 13, verse 14, but going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidia, Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. He again and again took it first to the Jews. And then after that, in Acts chapter 14, verse 1, in Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks. So you see, they took the gospel to the the Jews first. Acts chapter 16, every city they went to, they went first to the synagogue, first to the Jews. And they... And from there to Philippi, in Acts chapter 16, verse 12, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. And it talks about how this first woman who came to the Lord, how she was a worshiper of God, meaning a God of Israel, but she didn't know the Lord Jesus. And they knew on the Sabbath day that the Jews would be gathering by the river for, for prayer. That that's what they would do. So that was Acts chapter 16. Now Acts chapter 17, verse 1 through 3. Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, and there was a synagogue for the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And then, in, this is now reading in, in, in verse, uh, um, in, verse uh, uh, in verse 9. Thus Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry, in verse 3. This Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. Now in verse 10. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews... Uh, and now verse 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, the spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he went and he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. He wasn't dealing with Jewish idol worshipers. Idol worshiping among the Jews had ended, absolutely ended, and it's ended right on to this day after the first diaspora to Babylon. That really got them, and they never picked up idol worshiping after that. You can look in the scriptures. After the deportation to Babylon, they returned. There's never any idol worshiping after that. And this was among the the Gentiles that had picked up the idol worshiping. And uh, uh, the Gentiles that had entered the synagogue, they had picked up the idol worshiping. But you see this again. The first thing that he did is he went in among the Jews. That was Acts chapter 17. And then in Acts chapter 18, verse 4, Acts chapter 18, verse 19, Acts chapter 19, verse 1, Acts chapter 19, verse 8, Acts chapter 28, verse verse 16 and 17. Again and again, the first thing he does, he goes and he preaches this gospel. To the Jews. So what the apostle is teaching, it goes to the Jew first. He took it to the Jew first. You want to see power in your ministry? Try to set something so that you can go and minister to the Jews. I mean, there is something in this that he took the gospel. If you hear there's a Jew that needs to know that, open up whatever you can to go and to preach to that Jew. The gospel goes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And what we're going to see in the coming texts that we read, the judgment is first going to come to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. It's to the Jew first, the judgment. 
is going to come to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Exactly what he's preaching in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, taking it to the Jew first, exactly what he, he preaches, he did. And we're going to, there, there's so much more in these two verses, verses 16 and 17. We're going to pick up and learn about this next time. Let's close in prayer. Abba, Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I pray, Lord, for the unbelievers who are on this line, that in this very power of this, this word, in, as it says, that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. Lord, I pray that you just put that upon their hearts and they get saved. This very day you bring people to salvation. Lord, that you bring people to salvation. And Father, I pray that you would fill our hearts, that we would walk in this power that Paul is talking about, and that you would take the believers that have heard this message, and that they would understand that in their whatever job that they are in, they can accomplish so much if they would spend time getting to know you. And Father, that they would be able to go forward again and again in the power of God. Father, that you would use them in their vocations to preach the word of God, to do so much Father, by your grace, by your grace, do so much through them, I pray. For the glory of Jesus, I commit them to you. Father, work this into our lives that we would want to know you better, that we would want to spend time in prayer, time in your word, getting to know you. Father, I pray for these believers that they would love you and love your word all the more. For the glory of Jesus and in his name, amen.